Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Come on, church. Give them a shout of praise in this place. If you believe that name is the name above all names. He's the king above all kings. I want to read Mark chapter 12. We're going to be coming from this passage today. As we dig into the word of God, continue continuing in our series through the book of Mark. I'm reading Mark chapter 12, verse 35. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. I sense that in this place. A throng of people that want to hear the word of God gladly. And he goes on, and in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. I'm so glad I came back to teach from this passage with you today. But as we're walking through the book of Mark, how many know you can't run from anything? We've been going verse by verse through this. But I came to this text and I was reading it this week and I felt like God just laid on my heart, I need to talk about religion versus relationship and how a lot of us have got caught up at times in this religion thing for all the wrong reasons. And so I think today on Independence Day, the 4th of July, God wanted to remind us about the right reasons and let us throw off the wrong reasons. And so we're going to hear from his word. I want you, as we just sung, to be expecting something fresh. Because we sung, we need a fresh wind. I believe God wants to drop something fresh in the hearts of his people. I've looked around, I've already seen people just weeping through worship. And it happens every week and people will ask me afterwards, like, I don't know why, I just cried through the whole service, like from, from the first song that was sung. And I tell them all the time, it's because the Holy Spirit is in this place. Because there's something fresh being deposited in our hearts. And so if you come expecting right now, not just here to check a box off a list, not just thinking about what's coming. I know y'all got barbecues and pool time and lake and fireworks and some great things coming. Some burgers, some hot dogs, some watermelon. I know we got some great things coming, but before we get some meals in us, I believe God wants to deposit a meal from the word in us to set us on a new course for this week and the months to come. So turn to your neighbor right now and tell him, I'm in it for the right reasons, all right? Tell him, I'm in it for the right reasons. You can be seated in this place. So I'm really excited to be back. Chrissy and I are excited to be back. How many of you know you can bring it? 
How many know five weeks goes by really fast? We were gone for five Sundays. We thought it would be a good idea to do one service. I'm starting to rethink that uh, since most of you are cramped right now, but that's okay. Uh, we're one big, cozy, happy family today in the house of God. But hey, I'm, I'm going to teach from Mark 12, and I came back to this text. We've had this set for months. If you don't know, we're walking through the book of Mark verse by verse. Uh, we're almost uh, to year three of walking through the book of Mark. We will be done the beginning of 2022 <laughs> uh, with this series through the book of Mark. But we're going to be in this for the next few weeks. And I came to this passage, and actually I read it, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't even really know what this text means. And so I was really digging in this week as I now am coming to dig in with you. And so I hope you came to learn something today. I'm going to teach a little more today. Uh, but it actually reminded me of a story. This week I went to a, a pro-am game at Capital Christian. I don't know if you know they have a pro-am league there every summer. And uh, I walked in and, and I was with one of my friends and, and he said, hey, isn't your name on the court? Because my grandfather started, you know, moved the campus of Capital Christian to where it is and built the school, and they named the basketball court after him. So the basketball court is named Glenn and Mary Ann Cole Court. And so big on the court says Cole Court. So anytime I walk in, like, my name's on the court. And uh, I, I was reminded of a time, I was with one of my friends who I grew up with, uh, went to high school with. We actually went to Bible college together as well. And he lives here in Sacramento. He's a kid's pastor in town. And we went to one of the high school games at Capital Christian. And we walked in the gym. And the lady said to me, she said, oh, it's going to be $10. And my friend turned to her and he said, do you know who this is? And I was like, bro, shut up. Like, what do you, stop. And he's like, no, 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 hold up. Do you know who this is? She's like, no. And he's like, his name is on the court. <laughs> and he said, when your name's on the court, you don't got to pay to get in. And she's like, oh, I didn't know. Okay, go ahead, go on in. And I wasn't going to fight it, so I said, all right, and I just walked in. <laughs> but I think that so often we get caught up in, in the names and I have a great legacy here in Sacramento. Uh, my father's here, and he's continued that legacy as a pastor. And then me now, I'm a third-generation pastor. But how many know that we can very easily get caught up in thinking that we are deserving of something? And I didn't want my friend to say that. He did, and, and, and I ended up taking the blessing. But I think that so often when it comes to even walking with God and living for God, we can very easily, when it comes to religion, it can become something wrong even though it may be started right for us. And I was thinking about this, and I wrote down something. I was thinking about religion versus relationship, and this reality that religion actually starts with earning God's favor which is not what we're to do as followers of Christ, but it can quickly twist to earning man's praise. 
So we get in religion, we think it's for a good thing. We're like, oh, I'm going to earn God's favor because, I, I mean, I want to live for God. But then it's already off. And then it can twist even more to where religion becomes all about man. Getting man's favor, man's accolades. When we walk in the room and we say, do you know who this is? Do you know who I am? My name's on the court. I gave to help build this building. This is my seat. How many have been in churches where you sit down, you have people like, this is my pew. I've been in churches like that. But relationship starts with learning God's nature. But it matures into a living, living a life to praise and please God. You see, relationship is what we're pursuing here, church. Not religion. You see, religion is man-made. But relationship with Jesus is what he's called us to. He wants to know us intimately. He wants you to know his nature and his heart. That's who he is. And so I want to dig into this text because I read it and, and it actually confused me. And I was like, if I don't get it and I have a master's in theology, um, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people reading this aren't going to get it. And, and so I read it and I'm going to read it again. It says, as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? All right, let me break this down for us. Because I read it, I didn't get it. And, and I really want to just take a moment to teach because we're walking through this verse by verse in, in the book of Mark, and I don't want us to miss anything. And I think that this is actually a significant text. I think that this may be one of the most important things we see in the book of Mark that Jesus teaches, and it's something that in Israel and the, these people that he's teaching who are Jews, they understood Judaism. They understood their past. They understood what he's quoting, which he's quoting a psalm. And, and they would have understood this teaching while we, we don't really get it as much. And so let me just break it down real quick for us. He says to the scribes, so just so you know, uh, Lauren last week talked about the greatest commandment. Jesus has been in the temple teaching for a few days straight. Now, listen to me. This is the week before Jesus' death. This is actually, we believe, around Tuesday and he is crucified on Friday. So he's literally three days away from going to the cross. And he's in the temple and he's teaching. And for the last few weeks in the book of Mark, going back weeks, because we skipped a, a month or so, um, Jesus has been teaching in the temple court. And he's been answering all these religious leaders' questions. And so they come to him and they ask him question after question. They try to catch him. They try to get him stuck. They ask him what's the greatest commandment. And then after they've asked him question after question, and he's answered them correctly and actually blown their mind, it says in verse number 34, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. See, they realized that he had all the wisdom they realized that there was no question they could ask that could get him stumped or stuck. 
and they were trying to get him to blaspheme. They were trying to get him to, to speak down on the Romans so that he would, you know, potentially be a threat to them and they would arrest him. They were trying to get him to say something against Judaism, against their, their religion, so that they could then arrest him for that. And he always answers correctly. So now after answering their questions, he decides, I'm going to challenge them. You see, this nation of people, this religion, the Jews, Judaism, Israel, they'd been waiting for a savior. Many of you know this. They've been waiting for a Messiah who was going to rescue them from the human rule. They thought a person was coming from the line of David, because this is what was prophesied to them in the Old Testament. A person was coming from the line of David that would actually set them free from the physical, man-made, uh, uh, political government and would establish a new nation under Israel that would be governed and would be sovereign and, and would have all its own power. This is what they're waiting for. And so they would often call this Messiah, this Savior, the son of David because they knew that he was going to come from the line of David. That's what they would refer to him as. But what they never believed was that this person that was coming would also be God. They believed he would be a, a, a human being, a man that would come from the line of David that would set them free from, from these institutions of earth. But they never thought that he would also be God. And so they always called him the son of David. And so Jesus here is teaching them, and he says to them, he says, listen, how can you say only that he is the son of David? Because Jesus had already said, I am the son of God. He said, I am this prophesied person come to rescue Israel, but I'm also the son of God in the flesh. And they couldn't Accept that. And so what he does is he goes and quotes David himself. So he quotes from the book of Psalms, chapter 110. Now listen to me. This is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. So it's an important one. It is quoted 30 times in the New Testament. He goes to this psalm and he actually quotes David. And David says himself, in the Holy Spirit, declares... The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, they would have been taught on this by the scribes often. They would have used this text as a text proving that David was even prophesying of one that would be coming through his line to rescue Israel. And what Jesus is saying here to them, he says, wait a second. You're saying he's only a man. He's only the son of David. Why do you call him the son of David when David himself called him his Lord? Now, if you look at the text, uh, it, it, you guys maybe look at your Bible sometimes. The word Lord is often capitalized. L-O-R-D, all, capital, all capitalized. But then right after it is L-O-R-D, lowercase. And so in, in Israel and in Judaism, in Hebrew, they would write out the word Yahweh. This was the word, if you ever see it all capitalized, that's the word that's used in the original language in Hebrew, Yahweh. Now, they so revered the name of Yahweh, they wouldn't speak it. And they so revered it that the scribes, when they wrote it down, they would go take a ceremonial bath, 
come back, write the word, one word, Yahweh, finish writing the word Yahweh, go back, take another ceremonial bath, and then come back and continue copying the text. That was how much they revered this name for God, Yahweh. And this is the name that David uses. He says, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I want you to see this because there's the three in one all in this text. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he speaks and he says, the Lord, so Holy Spirit, number one of God, the Lord Yahweh, which we would say God the Father, said to my Lord, lowercase, which is the word Adonai, which is the word that we know they translated as Messiah, Deliverer, Savior. The Lord, God the Father, Yahweh, said to the Lord, Adonai, Deliverer, Savior, Jesus, sit at my right hand. So what is David saying? He's saying to them, listen, yes, he's from the line of the son of David, which is me, Jesus is saying but I'm also God. And David himself proved this by calling me Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And then Jesus goes on. He says, David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? So I wanted you to hear this and I wanted to emphasize it to you because this is so important for us today that we recognize who our Savior is. You see, a lot of people would say, oh, he was a good man. And and let me illustrate this for you. There's some people out there that have said different things about Jesus. In the Jewish Talmud, they say that Jesus was a man who practiced magic and led Israel astray. In Islam, they say Jesus was a prophet. In Mormonism, they say Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus is the created being Michael. The Freemasons, come on, it's the 4th of July, we tell, some of you are already thinking about Nicolas Cage, (laughs) the national treasure, We tell the sincere Christian that Jesus of Nazareth was but a man like us. The Unitarian Church says that Christ was only a man. But Jesus himself is asking the question in this final week. And he says to them, how can you say he's only the son of David? He's only the man when David himself called him his Lord. And so you need to hear this. This is so important because the world is going to say, oh, Jesus was this and he was that. But we know that Jesus was and is the son of God, ascended to the right hand of the father and waiting until he returns to establish his heavenly kingdom forever. In the meantime, I think it's encouraging for us to know that Jesus ascended to the right hand of the father is now interceding for us alongside of God. And he has sent his Holy Spirit, who inspired David to write this, to dwell within each and every one of us. So we are not alone in this life. We are not alone in this faith journey. But you have one, an advocate, a comforter, an empower to lead you and guide you as you walk out a life that, let me tell you, can be hard at times. How many know life is not always easy? Life can beat you up, slap you, knock you down. It can be rough. 
And yet we have one in us and with us. You see, the Jews, they'd been expecting a descendant of David to be the Messiah, the deliverer, to rescue them. And so they always refer to this Messiah as the son of David. And so Jesus himself calls himself the son of David. But he says, I'm not just the son of David. I'm not just a man. I'm also the son of God. I am the Lord. I am Adonai. I am the Savior that you've been looking for. And I embody both Christ, both God, and also the Son. We today, I think, struggle as we wrestle between religion and relationship, though. We may understand logically and mentally who Jesus was, and yet it's very easy, and this is what man has struggled with for, for you know, thousands of years. It's very easy for us to get pulled into religion, and I think about it because all you got to do is look around America and see we literally have thousands of different denominations all under the, the label of Christianity. We've literally divided ourselves over every little minute thing. And I think in this moment, in this season, and what's going on in our world, more than ever, this world needs a unified church. This world needs us to put our ideological and theological differences aside and come together under the main thing, which is Jesus seeks and saves the lost. Jesus came to save all who would seek him. And yet religion will get us pulled into it for some of the wrong reasons. I'm, I'm here to confess to you that I get pulled into it sometimes for the wrong reasons. As a human being, it's very easy. And so I wanted to give you today some wrong reasons that we follow Jesus. And I think identifying what's wrong, we can then attach ourselves to what's right. And so I, I want to start by saying, first, we can get caught up in the reason of, position and prominence. And I want to illustrate this by what Jesus does immediately following he, how he explains to them, look, look if, if David said it, then it's true. Not only am I the son of David, but I'm also the son of God. He called me Lord. He called me Adonai. I can be both the son of David and the son of God. I embody both. And then he goes on and he challenges the scribes and he says in his teaching, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Now, here's what's happening right now. You're listening to this, and you're going, oh, dang, I know some religious people. Oh, Caleb, I know some scribes in my life. But I wanted to tell you that it is a, a, a very slippery slope, and it's just a little slight uh, divergence from relationship that can turn you into a scribe, too. It's just a tiny little twisting of our faith that can move us to religion when we thought we were all about relationship. 
And so before you start casting stones and thinking of the people that need to hear this and, and, and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet this, this YouTube, I'm going to send it to my friend, I want you to just stop and think about yourself and where have I become religious? I was thinking about it this week for me. You see, first, it's that wrong reason of position and prominence. You see, Jesus is warning about the scribes who, who desire prominence. They desire to have a certain position. They desire to be honored. Instead of selfless service to the people of God and the house of God. I want to say, it's not just a privilege to serve God. It's a responsibility to serve God. And it's a responsibility that Christy and I take very seriously. In fact, this week, uh, I, I, I did a, a funeral for a friend on Wednesday. It was my first day back. And uh, I went to this funeral, and I had read this text the night before. And I don't even want to call it a funeral because it was more of a celebration of life, which I love. Uh, a grandmother who had died at the age of 77 and had lived an amazing life, loved the Lord, and it was just so cool watching all of her family celebrate her and the, the spiritual example she set. It was the legacy that I was inspired by. I thought, man, I want people to talk this way at my funeral. But I, was, I, I came to the, to the funeral, the celebration of life, and we got there, and it was getting ready to start, and I was opening it, and they, it was outdoors, and there were tables, and they were like, Caleb, Chrissy, sit here, and it was the very front table. It's like, okay, I sat at the front table, got up, you know, shared at the beginning, shared a scripture, prayed, and then we had a meal right afterwards. They said, Caleb, Chrissy, like, go, go eat first. And I was like, well, I got to go get my kids, you know, in a few minutes, so all right, so went and I ate first. Then I sat down, and we finished eating, and we're getting ready to leave, and they came over, they handed me a card, and I got in the car, and I opened the card, and there was money in it. I was like, oh, oh, snap. Like, I, I, wouldn't, I wasn't doing this for money. I would have showed up because they're friends of ours. I would have showed up anyways, even if I wasn't doing anything at the funeral. But I just read this text, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, God. Like, they gave me the front seat at the feast, and they had me eat first, and then they paid me to do it. <laughs> and so for a second, I'm like, I'm giving this money back. And then God's like, you got three kids, Caleb. Take it. <laughs> I was like, yes, Lord, in obedience. But how many know it's very easy, all it takes is a little drifting of our heart before we start to think, oh, I deserve this. I should have the front table. I should eat first. I should be paid anytime I show up. And I want to tell you, that's what religion does. Now, for me as a pastor, but for you too, you can relate this to your life. Where you start to think like anytime you're there for people, they should be honoring you rather than you being there to serve them. We long as human beings for position and for prominence. And that's why it's often that people show up at our church and they've been here like one week and they're like, hey, I'm ready to be on stage. And I'm like, no, you're not. I want to see you serve. I want to see you serve first before you get position or prominence. You see, it is a wrong reason, and yet it's something that's so enticing for us.
I mean, how many of you know position feels good? Prominence feels good. Followers feel good. People singing our praises feels good. The praise of man feels good. And yet, so quickly, when we get pulled into that heart, that mindset, we become religious. And we forget that it's about relationship with our Savior. The second reason, wrong reason we follow Jesus is for wealth and blessing. It says that they took advantage of the widows. It actually says, and this verbiage is so, like, I don't know, demonstrative. It says, who devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, for a payment, they make long prayers. You see, the scribes of this day, they were meant to serve those who were less fortunate. In this day, if you didn't have a husband, uh, you most likely had no way to make money. The widows really struggled in this culture 2,000 years ago because the men typically worked and the women took care of the home. This was just the culture that they lived in. They took care of the children in the home. And so when a, a, a wife or a woman's husband died, they were left with nothing. And it says they devour widows' homes, meaning that they would take advantage of those who were at their lowest point. They would take advantage of the least fortunate. And I think that sometimes we can start following Jesus and we start following Jesus and we think, well, that means I'm going to be blessed. Or that means I'm going to get rich. That, that, you know, prosperity gospel. And I want to tell you that we follow Jesus from blessing, not for blessing. We follow Jesus not for what we can get, but for what he already gave. We follow Jesus because he paid the price, the ultimate price, and we can do nothing but love him and serve him back. And yet so often we get caught up and, and we start following Jesus. We think, now I'm going to be rich. Now I'm going to be blessed all the time. And, and then all of a sudden our bank account is low. And we go through some things, some struggles, and I've watched countless Christians walk away because they said, I thought God was going to give me a husband by now. I thought God was giving me a wife by now. I thought I would be making six figures by now. But I'm here to tell you, we don't do it for wealth and blessing. We do it from the wealth and blessing of who Jesus is and that he gave it all and paid the ultimate price. And we have a promise in eternity that's more than anything we could earn on this earth. Listen, I, I was a youth and young adult pastor in Massachusetts for five years straight out of seminary. And so you didn't all know I'm from the East Coast too, you know what I'm saying? Like, I grew up in SAC, but I ended up on the East Coast and, uh, in Massachusetts. So, you know, we, we'd park the car and go to Harvard Yard, and it was, it was awesome. Uh, but, but I was there, and, and I'd been there for like four years, and the church— was an older church, and they said that they wanted to start a contemporary service because the service was very traditional, old school. We literally sat on thrones on the stage. Uh, I'm talking about, like, hymns only, and they got them. Help my brother out. Thank you, thank you. All right. Hymns only, all that. And so... We wanted to start a contemporary service, and, and they, 
they said to me, or the pastor came to me and said, Caleb, I want you to lead the contemporary service. I was the youth and young little pastor. He said, I want you to preach it. I want you to lead it. I want you to build the team, all that. And, uh, and I said, okay, well, well, let me pray about it. And this was like a big deal. He even told me it's going to come with the pay raise. And my wife was like, amen. <laughs> and so I, uh, I, I went home and I, I started to pray. And I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? You're going to get to build something. You're starting something. You're getting paid more. You're, you're preaching now to the adults. You know, you've just been preaching to the teenagers. And, uh, and, and this was an elevation. And so I went home. I started to pray about it. And, and in my prayers, I, I legit heard the voice of God say, no, don't do it. You're not supposed to do it. And I was like, God, that's not you. That must be the Satan. Bite the dust. You know, like. Be silent, devil. And then I just kept hearing it like, say no, say no, you're not supposed to do it. And I was like, oh, man. And so after a couple days of praying and just feeling like God kept confirming it, confirming it, I went in and I told the pastor, like, no, I don't feel like I'm supposed to do it. And he was shocked. He said, all right. He said, well, Caleb, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to actually hire someone to come in and do it. I said, all right, like, do that. And so they began the search, and they started the contemporary service, and I would just come and attend. And uh, they had some of the older pastors preaching it, and I wasn't preaching it. And everyone was coming to me, all my, my friends and the younger people in the church that were attending. They're like, Caleb, why are you not doing this? And I said, I feel like I'm not supposed to. And it was a few months later that God said, I want you to go back to California and plant a church. And Chrissy and I began to pray and plan and process, and then we told our pastor, hey, we're leaving, we're going back to plant a church. And that church ended up hiring a guy. Before I left, he came in and got to know him to start the contemporary service, and six years later, the pastor retired. He became the pastor of that church. And I think back to that moment because I was like, this is a blessing. I'm going to get wealthier, more prominence. But I know that, that if I had stepped out in disobedience, the act of obedience could have changed the trajectory not only of my life, but the life of that man who became the pastor of that church, all those who've been saved in this church, all that God is going to do in the future here at Project Church, I don't think Project Church would have started because I probably would have stayed. I may be the pastor of that church in Massachusetts. Thank you, Jesus. You got me to say no. But sometimes the appeal of the world can pull us towards something that when you're in real relationship with God, he may be saying no to. You see, when you're in real relationship with Jesus, you hear his voice. He tells you to do things that don't make sense. He asks you to step out in ways that all the people around you would say, what are you thinking? Even those leaders over you may say, why would you say no to that? And yet God is orchestrating something that you may not even see. God is working behind the scenes, and he's got a plan and a strategy, and he's moving you. But you have to walk. You have one simple act, and that's obedience. You see, obedience is always the best choice. But religion is not, a, a, is not an act of obedience. It's an act 
of, of do's and don'ts. It's rules and regulations. That's what religion is. Religion is if I do enough right things, I'll earn God's wealth and blessing. Rather than, no, 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 I'm, I, I'm acting in obedience even when it seems crazy. Out of the wealth and blessing that I've already received just by knowing him. Just by having relationship with him. And then finally, the final wrong reason that we follow Jesus is ease and comfort. Come on. Come on. Who doesn't like to be comfortable? Who doesn't like it easy? My wife, she thinks comfort is 76 degrees in our house, and I got to rebuke that every day in the summer. She's like, I'm comfortable. I'm like, I'm dying in here. Can I turn the AC down? Can I get an amen from a husband in this house whose wife likes it too warm? My goodness. <laughs> that was not inspired by the Holy Spirit, but we'll keep going. <laughs> he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. Like the greetings in the marketplaces. Now, I, I, I read a little bit into these long robes. Because I'm like, what's, what's this long robe? What's this long robe that these scribes were wearing? And they said that in the east, in this day... A long robe would have been the symbol of notability. It was the kind of robe in which one was wealthy and one could neither hurry or work. It was the sign of a leisured man of honor. That's what the long robe symbolized. And so these scribes would walk in their long robes as a symbol of their leisured actions a man of honor they'd walk in a room and everyone would say dang look at that robe <laughs> the leisure life the easy life the comfortability life in james though it says count it all joy my brothers when you face trials of many kinds knowing that in it develops your character your perseverance your patience your faith how many of you know that God never promised us the easy life, even the comfortable life? Now, I'm not saying you should feel bad if you have comfort things in your life, if you have a nice house or some money in your bank account. Maybe you've got a nice retirement plan, a college fund for your children. I'm not saying any of that is bad. But what I am saying is as followers of Christ, True followers of Christ, we don't always choose the easy route. We don't choose the easy thing. Because how many know the Holy Spirit will often ask you to do what is uncomfortable? He'll ask you to sacrifice, to give more than you thought you could give, to serve more than you thought you could serve, to love more than you thought you had the capacity to love. Because there are a lot of unlovely people in our lives that God is telling us and calling us to love. You see, we often think, oh, if I follow Jesus, then everything will go well for me. It'll be easy for me. It'll be comfortable for me. But what I found is often the road less traveled, the narrow path 
is the harder path, but I'm telling you, that path is always worth it. It's funny because, you know, in the years since I left Massachusetts and being here at Project Church, you know, I've, I've had some big churches call, offer me some big salaries. We've had opportunity to take the easy path. And yet God said, no, you're going to plant a church. You're going to toil and you're going to set up and tear down for seven years. And everybody that now is here in this building that doesn't have to set up and tear down anymore says amen. I think about some of the decisions we could have made. Christy and I could have made. I probably would have less gray hair. <laughs> I'm trying to grow it out right now for you guys, actually. But then I think about what obedience does. You see, obedience costs you something. But when you look back and when you walk a life of obedience, there's always signs of God saying, no, no, it's worth it. There's always faithfulness of God showing up. We've never gone without. This church has had hard times, and yet we've never missed a payment. We've never missed what God has called us to do. We've never had a, a, a lack in the areas that it looked like there should have been lack. Why? Because God shows up. What I found in my life is so often we ask for miracles, but we don't ever step out in faith and give God a chance to work a miracle. You're not going to see miracles in your life. You're not going to walk on water if you don't ever get out of the boat. And so my challenge to you is that you would not always take the easy path, the comfortable path, because I think that's what religion does. It, it, it always makes the decisions that make sense or that someone else would tell you you should do. But the relationship with Jesus... The Holy Spirit speaking often reveals things to us that make no sense to this world, that make no sense to the people around us, that look like a path that will not be comfortable or easy, and yet when we do it, there is always signs of his faithfulness along the way. I want to see miracles, church. I want to see miracles in my life. I want to see miracles in this body. I want to see miracles, and I found that it only happens when we step out in faith. You see, relationship with Jesus teaches you to risk it all. Relationship with Jesus teaches you to walk by faith, not by sight. Relationship with Jesus teaches you to walk in obedience no matter what anyone else would say. Relationship with Jesus is pointing you to a greater purpose and destiny that others may not see around you. And I'm here to tell you, don't get caught up in religion. It's so easy like the scribes to get pulled into re religion, to position and prominence, to wealth and blessing, to ease and comfort. And yet I found time and time again, it doesn't matter how rich you are in this room or how poor you are in this room. There will still be moments if you have relationship with Jesus when he asks you to step out in faith and you have to choose obedience or not. But if you choose obedience... If you choose relationship, I'm here to tell you, 
God will show up every time. I'm here to tell you it's the best life. I, I've, I'm looking around at Christianity in, in our world, in our culture, and I think that most people are bored in their walk with Jesus. And they wonder why they're bored. And I tell them, and I want to tell you, because walking with Jesus is an adventure. It's an act of faith. It's day by day stepping out and not knowing what's going to happen. And I'm here to tell you, God wants a church full of adventure. God wants a church full of miracles. God wants a church full of faith. And we in this culture are so comfortable and, and we're living a life of ease. And God is calling us right now to something different. I'm not saying you're going to be poor. Some of you are like, I'm not sure, Caleb. I don't want to be poor. I'm not saying that. But I am saying there's going to be acts and steps and decisions and moments that don't make sense to this world. But when you have relationship with Jesus, you step out in it. But how many know it all comes back to Jesus seated at the right hand of God? You see, you can't do enough to earn his love. In fact, you could do everything you'd ever want to do and think you could do and imagine to do and dream up to do. Man, you could be the most obedient person in this world and yet still there will be levels of disobedience which would disqualify you from having right relationship with Jesus. And that's why we needed Jesus to come down to this earth and to pay the price for our sins and our mistakes to step into our place so that we could have relationship with him. You see, relationship with him isn't because of you, it's because of him. You get to walk this obedient, faith-filled, adventurous life because of him, not you. You get to step out and risk it all and, and, and live a life that doesn't make sense to this world because of him, not you. And so today, I think there's someone in this room on this Independence Day that needs to surrender their heart to the Savior, Jesus, that needs to surrender their life to our God who paid it all, who paid the ultimate price to take our place, the place of our sin, so we could be forgiven and be in right standing with God. That's relationship. It's surrender. Religion says, if you do everything right, then you'll earn God's favor. Relationship says, you don't have to do anything. Jesus already did it. Just have faith. I hope that's encouraging to you today. Because I don't know about you, I try to live right for God and I still fail. And religion will tell you, well, you just got to do a little more. You just got to be a little more holy. You just got to be a little more right. You just got to be a little more obedient. And then God will accept you. And then God will love you. But, but what this tells us is that you don't have to do anything. Because Jesus already did it. But what happens is once you come into relationship with him, you can't help but do what's right. You can't help but walk in obedience. You can't help but step out in faith. You can't help but risk it all. You can't help but lay aside what is comfortable and easy and step out into what is difficult and hard. You can't help it because you're like, look what Jesus did. How could I not do this? We walk obedient, not for blessing, but from blessing. 
And so today there's someone in this room that needs to surrender their hearts to Jesus. I want you to bow your heads across this place. You've been running from God. You've turned your back on God. You tried to do it in your strength. You tried to earn your way to God. Maybe you've been caught up in sin and you've been running and God brought you here today on the 4th of July to say it's time to surrender again. It's time to lay your heart down again. It's time to accept me again. It's time to let me take your place. You messed up. You messed up last night, last week, last month, last year, and yet I'm here to wash it all away. So if you're in this place, you say, Caleb, that's me. I need Jesus for the first time. Or you need to recommit yourself to him afresh and anew today. I want you to lift your hand. One, two, three, go. Put it up. Yes, 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 yes. I'm seeing these hands. Yes, 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 yes. Another hands are still going up. Yes. Come on, somebody else, you didn't put it up, but you know you're supposed to. You need to surrender right now. Put it up. Yes, I see that hand too. You can put them down. Would you all pray this prayer with me? Repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I confess my sin. And today, I surrender my heart to you as my Savior. I ask you to change me from the inside out. I'm nothing without you. I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me. I'm asking you to fill me with faith, to take the place of my sin. And today, I commit wholeheartedly to you. Give me the strength to follow you every day of my life. I love you, Jesus. I receive you, Jesus. You are my Lord. You are my God. You are my King. In your name, amen. Come on, give God some praise in this place. Many hands that went up. So here's what I wanna do. I know I went a little long today, but thank you guys for being with us. We do have snow cones after the service out on the porch if you'd like any. I want us to sing because I think that some of us, if we were honest, we say, Caleb, I've got hints of religion in me. I got hints of the scribes and the Pharisees in me. I got caught up in trying to earn my way to God. I got caught up in ease and comfort and only following and serving Jesus for blessing and honor for position and prominence and I want us to sing that that little bridge we sung earlier where we're shaking up the ground of our tradition we're breaking up the religion that has had us bound up and we're walking in the faith of the relationship that comes through Jesus Christ so would you stand to your feet with me across this place and let us sing this as our prayer team makes their way forward if you need prayer, if you raise your hand to receive Jesus, if you're walking through a struggle, if maybe you just need to fight off some of the religion of your past or your present, our prayer team is going to be up here. But let's sing this and let this be our final declaration on this 4th of July that we're breaking off any religion and we're walking in the relationship through Jesus Christ. Come on, lift your voices with us in this place, church. Sing. 
Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.